Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning and welcome to Community Christian Church. It's really great to have you here today. I, I trust that you were able to receive something already during the worship time, and I really appreciate your willingness to come together, especially on the first Sunday, and spend some time together. Amen. Timing is everything, Joe. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Joe. And uh, while we're on the subject of football, uh, it's hard to believe that we're already halfway through the 2019 NFL season. And if you are a Detroit Lions fan, and I don't mean you just simply watch the game from week to week, uh, but if you're true blue and loyal to the Lions, you watch every game, you pull for them every time, then chances are you strongly dislike the Green Bay Packers. And I use the word dislike instead of hate because we're in church. And when you come to church, you should check your hate at the door, right? Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers have been a thorn in our side for the last 10 years. And a couple of weeks ago, on Monday Night Football, when the Packers and the Lions played, it happened again. The Lions lost again. But I'm not at all bitter about that. I've gotten over it. And even though I have a pure heart toward the Green Bay Packers uh, this morning, I don't mind telling you at all that 25 years before Aaron Rodgers was born, the Green Bay Packers were a lousy football team. I mean, worse than the, than the Lions. Terrible. In fact, way back in 1958, the first year I started following football, I was about four years old, the Green Bay Packers won one football game that year, the entire year, just one game. And there were plenty of unhappy football fans in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Enter the legendary Vince Lombardi. In 1959, under Coach Lombardi, the Packers went 7-5 and five that year. Had their first winning season in 12 years. Lombardi was named NFL Coach of the Year. And the following year, in 1960, the Green Bay Packers went to the NFL Championship game. That was the old title for the Super Bowl. And they barely lost that game, a close one to the Philadelphia Eagles, 17 to 14. The following year in 1961, in case you're interested, the Packers won the NFL championship game that year. And over the next six years, they won four more football titles, including Super Bowls one and two. And in the 1960s, Vince Lombardi established the Green Bay Packers as a football dynasty. And just prior to them becoming one of the greatest and most dominating teams in the NFL, in 1961, Lombardi showed up for training camp, and on the very first day of training camp, he spoke to all of his team members. And on that occasion, speaking to 38 professional athletes, 
38 football players who've been playing football from the time they were in diapers. Here's what Lombardi said. Gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> this is a football. And he went on to teach them and train them about the fundamentals of football until he was blue in the face. And because of his back-to-the-basics approach, Vince Lombardi became one of the most influential coaches of all time. Even today, 50-some years later, the trophy given to the winning team, uh, the football team that wins the last game of the season, I'm talking about past the regular season, past the playoffs, and into the Super Bowl, the world champion football team, which is typically the New England Patriots, they get to hoist the Vince Lombardi Trophy. And what an honor that is. It's a great accomplishment to be able to say that they won that trophy and that they have that trophy as a part of their repertoire. And I bring it up today and spend that much time with this introduction because all month long, all during the month of November, we're going to be talking about basic biblical principles. We're going to go back to the basics. And I mean practical Christian living at its finest. And yeah, there are some believers, just like there's some football players, that don't appreciate practical very much. In fact, for them, the basics are dull and boring and not at all exciting. And I mean the people now who are always looking for the pastor or the teacher to say something profound and tickle their spiritual funny bone. And I know this because oftentimes, or occasionally at least, following a Sunday morning service, a good intending brother or sister will come to me and they'll start talking about the service and they'll say, well, pastor, your message this morning was pretty basic, a lot of review for me. And I've learned those lessons a long time ago. And so for me personally, I didn't get a whole lot out of the sermon today. But I'm sure somebody else was blessed by it. And after they're done talking, they walk away. I got to laugh to myself. I didn't used to laugh. In fact, I used to cry. Go home depressed, feeling like a failure. But now I find it kind of comical. Because the last time that whole scenario happened... Uh, when this good intending brother came and talked to me uh, like he did, the overly simplistic message and review that I was attempting to communicate that particular morning was on the importance of showing kindness and humility. <laughs> and unfortunately, that poor brother, he bombed on both. <laughs> Sometimes we need to get back to the basics back to the essential elements of the faith. And by reviewing these practical lessons from the Word of God, it can prove to be extremely beneficial in our lives. Going back and remembering and applying the things that we've already learned, instead of always trying to obtain more and more and more knowledge, it's a good thing to stop for a moment and apply what we've learned. And such is the case in the book of Proverbs. In the Proverbs, King Solomon, he gives us life lessons and truth to live by. 
And now I'm talking about truth based on Solomon's divine gift of wisdom, a gift that he received right from the throne of God. And don't look now, but by definition, wisdom is applied knowledge. It's taking what you learn and doing something with it. Learning and living out the basics. That's what wisdom is all about. And right out of the starting gate, during his introduction to the book of Proverbs in chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, here's what Solomon wrote. These are the wise sayings of Solomon, David's son, Israel's king. Written down, so we'll know how to live well and right. They're written down so we can understand what life means and where it's going. Proverbs is a manual for living, for learning what's right, just, and fair. To teach the inexperienced the ropes and give young people a grasp on reality. But Solomon said, there's also something here for seasoned men and women. Still a thing or two for the experienced to learn. In other words, a little something for everyone. Young and old and everyone in between. And one reoccurring theme that you'll find in the book of Proverbs is this whole idea of better. What's better? Finding out what that is. Searching for what's better. Choosing what's better. Now, some people, scratch that, most people, they spend a lot of time looking for a better deal. If you go shopping with Therese, 20%, 30%, that's not a good deal. I mean, that's only the beginning of a good deal. Uh, Just yesterday, we were at Kohl's. She had her Kohl's cash. She had her discounts. We never buy anything at a regular price. And so by the time we walked out of the Kohl's, we actually had 70% off the original price. Now, that's a good deal. It's a good deal. Being a wise steward. Thank you. In our quest for the best, we poke, probe, ponder, peel, and peek before we finally make a choice. And throughout that process, I never once heard of anyone who had a better product in their hands and they said, this appears to be the best that I can get. This this looks like the best, but I think I'll take the other one. Better is in our DNA. We're programmed for better. And if we can afford it, Better is always the right choice. Turn to the person next to you and say, better is better. <laughs> and this human pursuit of better recently prompted a company to open up a brand new business endeavor called the Husband Store. Anybody hear about it? You, you heard right. It's the Husband Store. This store is designed for women who are looking for a husband. The husband store. And this particular store has five floors. But ladies, if you're going to shop at the husband store, you you need to know the rules. There's a couple of rules to follow. First of all, like I mentioned, there's five floors. You have to start on the first floor and work your way up if you want. But if you leave the floor that you're currently visiting and you go to the next floor, then you can't come back. Okay, you got it? Those are the rules. So this one gal, she went into the husband's store, and uh, the, the, the sign on the first floor said, husbands on this floor, potential husbands, they're romantic. 
I mean, these guys, uh, they love uh, candles um, and flowers and mood music. And this gal's like, wow, that, that's really attractive. But she thought to herself, you know, there's a couple more floors. So she went to the second floor. Sign on the second level said, the potential husbands on this floor, they're romantic and they make a lot of money. I mean, they've got good jobs with a lot of possessions and bank accounts and investments. And this gal's like, romantic and rich? Wow, does it get any better than that? But there's a couple more floors to go to. So she went to the third floor. Sign on the third level said, the potential husbands on this floor, they're romantic. They got a lot of money. And they like kids. She slapped herself. Is there such a man that exists? I mean, he's romantic. He's rich. He's got money. He's got possessions. And he loves kids. And she's like, man... I need a man like that. But there's a couple more levels. On the fourth floor, the sign read, the husbands on this floor are romantic and they've got money and they love kids and they do housework. <laughs> Cleaning, cooking, the laundry, putting the, the fold, folding and putting the laundry away. And now this girl's beside herself. She figures, I can't get any better than this. This is the best I could possibly do. But there's one more level. So she went and made her way to the fifth level. Sign on the fifth level said, ladies, I'm sorry, there are no men on this floor. No men to choose from. The fifth level exists only to show that sometimes some women, not all, but some women are impossible to please. All right, just to balance things out a little bit, make this fair, across the street from the husband's store is the wife's store. Once again, the wife's store has five levels. Same rules apply. You make your way from one level to the next, you can't go back down. So this one guy was shopping. He went to the wife's store. He went on the first floor. Sign on the first floor read, the women on this floor are romantic, just like the, the, guy, the guys at the husband's store. They're romantic and they enjoy intimacy. And just so guys knew what they meant by that, in parentheses, they had the word sex. That was the sign on the first floor. At the wife's store, floors two through five, never been visited. No man has ever left the first floor. All right, I trust by now you know that there's no husband star, there's no wife star. We're just having a little fun this morning. Because today we're going to begin a brand new series entitled Better. Okay? And we want to have a little fun. Uh, we just came out of a pretty intense series back in October, talking about hope in the dark, so we thought we'd switch things up a little bit and, and just, you know, laugh a little bit. It's okay to laugh in church. But even though I want to mix things up and have a good time and, and, and just lighten the load a little bit, I don't want you to misinterpret our intention. The objective and the purpose of this series is to choose God's way, 
to go after what's better, to identify it and pursue it. And in the book of Proverbs, on at least 19 different occasions, Solomon takes the mystery out of it and he attempts us to lead us to God's principles, which we well know are much better than our own. For instance, in Proverbs 8.11, Solomon wrote, wisdom is better than rubies. So he's given us what's better. Proverbs 16.8 says, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Proverbs 16.32, again, Solomon's talking about better. He said, better is a patient person than a warrior. Better is he with self-control than one who takes a city. Proverbs 27.10, better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. Okay, one more, Proverbs 17.12, better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. So here, what Solomon is doing over and over again throughout the book of Proverbs, he tells us what's better. So the book of Proverbs is filled with comparisons and godly principles that point us in the right direction. The whole purpose of the book is to provide wisdom and insight that allows us to make good choices and to take God's way over our way. As you well know, his way is different. And as Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, 9, God's ways are higher. They're better. They're above normal. They're above average. They're way beyond commonplace. And so this morning, for just a minute, a few minutes before we receive communion together, what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about that last proverb I just quoted, Proverbs 17, 12. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. How many of you just basically have read that before, kind of chuckled to yourself and moved on? Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs, then deal with a fool bent on folly. And that kind of reminds me of the two guys who were out hiking in the woods, and suddenly they encountered a bear. And immediately the one guy, he took off his hiking boots and put on his tennis shoes that he had in his backpack. And his buddy watching him do all that said, are you kidding me right now? Do you literally think that putting on those tennis shoes are going to help you outrun that bear? which his buddy responded and said, I don't need to outrun the bear. Just need to outrun you. (laughs) Everyone knows the last thing you want to do in the whole wide world is mess with a mother bear and her cubs. To do that could prove to be fatal. And in the world of nature, I can't think of a dumber thing to do. However, in Proverbs 17, 12... Given the choice between meeting an angry she-bear and having to contend with a fool, Solomon said, I'll take my, my chances with the bear. Given the choice of dealing with a bear or a fool, I'll take my chances with the bear. Now, when you read the Word of God and you concentrate and allow his word to mull over in your mind. You meditate on the message that's coming. I'm just in awe of that statement. Because you know what it tells me? Foolish people are dangerous. And not only are they dangerous, they're treacherous. 
And what makes them so lethal is the power and the ability they have to negatively influence the people around them. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, here's what Paul said, do not be misled, do not be fooled or deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. On the authority of God's word in 1 Corinthians 15 and many other passages in scripture, negative influence of others and bad company is the number one cause of good character bankruptcy. Good character. People who have it in their heart to do what's right, they're influenced by foolish people. And these same foolish people have done a whole lot of damage these days. But here's the deal about fools. They don't hold up a sign saying, follow me, I am a fool. They don't do that. No, they disguise their intentions and their methods and their handiwork. And this past couple of weeks, I've done a lot of work for you. In fact, I've researched through the Proverbs, and I did a word study on the word fool. And I learned that the definition of a fool in the Bible is much different than what we typically understand or would define as a fool. To us, a foolish person is someone who does thoughtless or stupid things, someone who's reckless and irresponsible, a knucklehead, a blockhead, a bonehead, an idiot. Uh, am I getting across uh, understanding? That's what we think a fool is. But in the Bible, fool isn't that. When you read through the Proverbs and try to understand what Solomon was communicating every time that you read the word fool or foolish person, it's someone who's calculating and deceitful. Someone who has the power of influence and can persuade others to buy into their own indiscretions. That's what makes a fool so dangerous, is their ability to influence others. And in Psalm 14, it was David who said, the fool, who? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that kind of person has done a whole lot of misleading in these days. And so directly from the Proverbs, I put together a profile of what a foolish person looks like. If you read through the book of Proverbs, here's what you'll find. Foolish people, they despise wisdom and instruction. It says so in Proverbs 1.7. They hate knowledge. They tell lies about a good person. Fools find pleasure in evil. Not in what's good, but what's bad, what's wrong. They think the harm they do is okay. They believe their way is right. They destroy their families. Why in the world would anyone do something like that? Why would they ever tear down or destroy a family member? Because they're foolish. And they don't recognize or realize just how damaging their behavior is. I'm not done. Fools love deception. They mock sin. They're reckless and hot-headed. They hate discipline. They lack understanding. They promote strife. We're going to talk about this one in a couple of weeks. They repeat their foolishness and they rage and have no peace. And you see that every day on the road. Check it out. 
Solomon tells us foolish people, they don't like to engage in their folly or their schemes all by themselves. Ever hear the old saying, misery loves company? Foolish people love to influence others to be as foolish as they are. And for some unknown reason, unhappy people are not content until other people are just as unhappy as they are. And they drag people down. That's what they do. They negatively influence and corrupt good character. And Solomon said, they're dangerous. And so if you have people like that in your life, if while, I'm ta- while I was talking, you just kind of had some names popped into, into your mind, these are dangerous people. And we have to be aware of it. And so here's my personal policy when it comes to dealing with people that would be put in the foolish category. For the sake of the gospel, I will do whatever I can to get that gospel message to them. Carefully associate with people, reach out to them, make every effort to love and show kindness and compassion and mercy, but I will not ignore their bad behavior. I will not dismiss it. Because again, on the authority of God's word, in the best of situations, foolish people are dangerous. They can corrupt us. They can lead us astray and move us away from the relationship that we can have with our God. And so again, Proverbs 17, 12. I I trust this will be embedded in your head all week. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool. All right, let's prepare for communion. What I'd like you to do is just kind of bow your head at this time and I'm going to give you 60 seconds or so to just reflect a little bit on what we said this morning. In a group like this, having said the things I already said, I believe that you would receive different measures of truth depending on what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And that's my prayer for you this morning. Is that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I pray that this morning would be more than just you getting a brief history of the Green Bay Packers. But that you would take seriously from the word of God this challenge that Solomon puts out to us to choose what's better in God, to go after what's better. And to be reminded of some of the lessons that we've learned, some of the basics of Christianity, and make sure that we are implementing those basics, those practical things in our lives. I'm sorry to say to you this morning, I'm sorry to have to say this, but I'm your friend, I'm I'm your pastor who loves you. The behavior of many Christians today, whether it's face-to-face or written, it's not what we've been taught. It's not what Jesus has communicated to us. If it's a lesson that you've learned in the past, 
It should be a lesson that we're applying today. And so I just want you to take a couple of moments and prepare your heart. Examine your own heart. What a wonderful opportunity that we had to come into God's presence today and just stand in awe of him, pointing in his direction and saying, God, this is who you are. You make a way where there is no way. You are a miracle-working God. You change things. You're always working. You never stop working. You never stop working in my life. And as a believer, we never get to the place of perfection. That's the goal, Paul said. That's where we want to get to. We aim for perfection, but it's not really where we're going to ever get to apart from the grace of God. Father, I pray right now that you would speak to our hearts. We tried to laugh a little bit during the message portion. We, we told a few stories. We got our intention is to choose you. To live a life where we make a decision to go with what's better. Scripture says it was on the night Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper had ended, he took a cup. He passed the cup to his disciples and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. Every time you gather around the communion table, every time you receive the bread and the cup, I want you to remember my death and my sacrifice on the cross. At least allow that to come into your mind, Jesus said, whenever you participate in communion. Remember my death on the cross. The scripture tells us that it was sometime during a Passover celebration that Jesus was having with his disciples just a few hours before his death that he instituted the communion supper. What we are engaged in right now, Jesus did this with his disciples over 2,000 years ago. And during that communion time, during the Passover meal, we're told in the Gospel of John that Jesus had some heart-to-heart -heart conversation with his disciples that lasted for hours. He talked to them about many things, reminded them of the teaching of the past three and a half years. He spent intimate moments with them into the wee hours of the morning. And during that conversation, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to know, the world you live in is going to hate you. They are going to despise you for no other reason other than your association with me. Because you've chosen to follow me, because you've chosen to become a disciple of mine, people are going to reject you. And they're going to hate you. Not only are they going to hate you, but they're going to persecute you for no reason. 
And Jesus said, I want you to know, before they persecuted you, before they hated you, they hated me. And they hated me without a cause. Jesus said, and you got to just understand his heart, I never did anything wrong to anyone. And they hated me. Because in this world, there are many people today who despise godly wisdom and instruction. They reject truth and knowledge. They find pleasure in doing what's wrong and what's pleasing to them. They live life by their own set of rules. They love deception, mock sinful behavior. They disdain what's right, holy, and just. And in the book of Proverbs, Solomon calls them out. And he identifies them as foolish people. And he said to carefully watch your association with these people because there's a better way to live. A better way is to choose God's way over man's way. To trust God over everything else you can trust. To surrender your life to God. To put your faith in God. To understand that God is the one who loves you with an everlasting love. Solomon said there is a better way to live. And better starts at the cross. That's where it originates. And when you bow your knee at the cross and confess with your own lips, Jesus is Lord, you have chosen what's better. And that trip to the cross, it's not a one-time visit. It's not you go there and you say a quick prayer and you're on your way. No, we've got to continually go back to the cross because that's what refreshes our recollection of what Jesus did and reminds us of how important it is for us to choose what's better according to God. There are so many influences today, so many pressures, so many different options, so many theologies, so many theories, opinions. We have to be reminded of what's better, and it starts there at the cross. It's where we choose better, friend. So I'm going to just ask you to bow your head for a moment, one more moment. And over the years, I've kind of been able to develop a sense of when God is doing something, and I, I appreciate that grace that God has given me. Can't always tell whether or not the congregation is responding favorably, but I can tell when the Spirit is moving, and I'm just sensing right now that God is doing some powerful things in, in people's lives right now. It was set up by the worship time as Phil and the worship team brought us to a place of acknowledging him, desiring him in his will, choosing God more than anything else. And I just have a sense in my heart that there might be some people here, whether you're visiting for the first or second time or you've been coming to church for months, for this, to this church for months and years, that you're just not in a right place with God and you know it. Maybe you've never fully committed your life to God. Maybe you've sensed the knocking on the door of your heart by the Spirit of God, but you just haven't been ready 
or maybe for one reason or another, there was a time when you wholeheartedly served the Lord, but now you've kind of been influenced by some other things and you know you're not where you should be. Could we take just a moment this morning before we receive the bread and cup and get that right? I want to do that for you because you're just one prayer away from being right where you need to be. If I just described you this morning and you feel it's time to go after God and choose what's right and choose what's better, can I just get you to raise your hand for a second and put it back down? Come on, put it up for just a second. Thank you. Appreciate those hands. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your honesty. Again, I'm feeling it in my heart. I can tell. One more time, if you haven't already done it, you just want to make the right choices. Can I get you to read? Thank you. Thank you. Father, I've watched this happen the last 35 years of my life. People surrendering their hearts to you. People getting right with you, changing, coming forward, saying, I need you. And Lord, it never gets old. Thank you for being such a loving, caring, forgiving God. And for every person who raised their hand, Lord, I, I just pray that they would sense the love you have for them this morning. So often we, we just feel the anger, we feel the rejection because we think that's how you are. Let there be a wave of your unconditional love and compassion flow over this place this morning. You are a good God. And we honor you, Lord. For those who are making commitments for the very first time, I thank you, Lord, that being translated from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for these miracles. You are a miracle-working God. And Father, I pray a prayer of healing, a prayer of restoration, deliverance, victory, to everyone who's in need this morning. Lord, increase our faith. Allow us to have a big vision of who you are. Let us see you as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. You make a way where there is no way. That's the kind of God that you are. Let there be a shift, Lord, in our vision today. And we see you on the throne. You are worthy, Lord. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread and the cup this morning. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.